0: As you're moving forward in any business scenario, you need to keep in mind that what got you here is not what will get you there. So, for me, the way that manifests itself is being an eternal, I don't know if I want to say optimist. Okay. I am pretty optimistic, but I think the more specific word would be possibilist. And we sort of invented that word here a few years ago or in conversation a few years ago. It's not actually a word. But what it means is that I believe in what's possible. Mm -hmm. I believe in the idea of eternal possibility and the excitement of of bringing to life new ideas, of creating new connections, and ultimately going to or getting to new and exciting places because anything is possible if you put your mind to it.
1: Welcome to Media Sales Confidential, where we get the inside information from some of the world's most respected and innovative leaders. I'm Matt Bartles, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Haley Romer, Chief Revenue Officer at The Atlantic. Let's go. Haley Romer, thank you so much for joining. How are you?
0: Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. I am doing really, really well. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. You are currently at the Atlantic, but before that you had leadership positions at Condé Nast and at Forbes. You also have many accolades within the industry that I am looking forward to digging into as well. But before you got into media, what was it that made you decide or how did your path get to where you are right now? Where did it start?
0: You know, it's so funny, Matt. I was saying to myself the other day that I've been working I think since I was 12 or perhaps I said that to my children. And the funniest thing was that my daughter the other day had her mind blown when I told her that I had been a camp counselor. Okay. She couldn't believe that I could be in charge of, of other people's fun and entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, wait a second, I've been doing that my whole life. But I would say to answer you um, more specifically, it started early on. I have been you know, working since my early teenage years. And the thing that I always gravitated toward in any job was working with people and mm-hmm. being a part of conversations that ultimately led to something else. And so whether it was being a camp counselor and working with children and helping them to evolve and develop and work with one another or working in a music store, music is a deep passion of mine, something I've always loved. And I used to work at HMB Records oh. and I would spend my time both at the ticket master machine trying to get tickets as early as I could to any concert, as well as helping people find their love and passion for music, you know, by buying CDs and things like that. I always gravitated toward being around people and finding myself at the center of conversations that, that I was passionate about.
1: What was your first job?
0: Well, I think babysitting, right? Because that's the first thing that you could probably legally do sure. and be in charge of. So that was that. But after that, I, I sort of quickly thereafter followed in restaurants uh-huh. I was a waitress as well as, I think I was a bus girl before I could be a waitress because I couldn't be on the floor handling the alcohol. So first I cleaned up the tables sure. and then eventually I could wait the tables and become a hostess. And then I hopped over to, as I said, HMV Records, if you remember them, they're mm-hmm. I don't think they're around anymore. But I spent so many years working really hard to be able to afford the concert tickets that I could get access to because we had a Ticketmaster machine in the uh, in the store. Yeah. I did telemarketing in college, so I would call people during their dinner hours to try to get them to help think about refinancing their mortgage oh my God. <laughs> long ago, yeah. but I definitely did that. I called people you know, in the, during dinner, as I said, in the, in the middle of their evening and, and would that was the hardest thing, was to get people to engage with you over the phone. Sure, Um, And this is all to say that I didn't necessarily dream up a career in media or sales and marketing. Actually, Mm -hmm. I went to school to be a journalist. I wrote for papers in high school and in college, and I did a little bit of broadcast journalism. Um, I wrote for my town newspaper. I was always, I am just a really naturally deeply curious individual wanting to know more and really get to the heart of the story. And as I said, loved connecting with people. And so those two things kind of converged. And for me, meant this path towards becoming a journalist as a career. So when I had gotten out of school, I had been exposed to marketing and sales. And rather than go down the path of being a journalist, because it was difficult at the time. You know, it's always difficult to find great journalism jobs. I thought I might have to wind up in some city in the middle of nowhere. And I wasn't necessarily prepared to do that at the time. So instead, I got into media on the business side. Mm-hmm. And I love that I have spent my career supporting incredible journalism, just, just one of the most important foundational elements of our democracy. Mm-hmm. And I get to do it from a business perspective, working with incredible people, building incredible strategies, and executing on big, exciting ideas all the
2: time.
1: Yeah, so you're now the, now you're the CRO at The Atlantic, but before that, early on in the career, What was some of the early milestones or or, um, experiences that kind of shaped your leadership perspective?
0: Oh, that's a good question. You know, thinking back, I would say one of the experiences I had or one of the things that stands out to me is that I had a series of bosses who I would often think to myself, I would never want to be like that person. And so I would start to form behaviors or behave like just behave in certain ways that were opposite to what I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. And what I found was that in certain environments, it actually served me really well. People had expected certain things from leadership as a result of experiencing certain things from leadership. And my personal style, my authentic self, just wasn't that way exactly. Mm -hmm. So I would say just early on, what I learned was it is so important to be yourself And if you're the best version of yourself, it can really break through and resonate with other people. And that's, that's what I found. And that's sort of the foundation of, of how I, um, developed the leadership style, if you will, um, having said that, I, I couldn't, don't ask me to characterize what my leadership style is, because I would say it's ever evolving. I think, you know, just as a lifelong learner, I'm changing and growing. And I would hope that I'm different this year than I was last year. And, and even more so, I would expect that different for the better.
1: Got it. Okay. So becoming your authentic self, that's easier said than done. And I know that that can change and what you were before is different potentially than where you are now and where you're going. Anything early on in the career and experience that you had that you thought you were being your authentic self or it actually changed who authentic self meant or how you interacted with folks?
0: Lots of things actually had changed how I interacted with people. I can point to a few different experiences specifically with regard to sales that absolutely shaped me. And this is actually an example of working with a leader who I did believe in and who I, who I really respected and trusted. So I was uh, really young in my sales career and I had a new boss. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to prove myself and show that I had done my homework and that I could you know, kind of go in hard charging and, and win the business over a competitor. So we went to a meeting and I basically spent, you know, the bulk of the time just making the case,
2: uh-huh.
0: the case that I thought had to be made or the best case that I thought we could bring to the table or the reasons I thought that this client should be working with us, should, should be buying from us.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And it sort of turned off the buyer she wasn't really receptive to the argument i was making because of course she's thinking about something entirely different not just what's coming out of my mouth she's right. thinking about her issues and we walked out of the meeting and i thought i did such a great job of articulating all Trust of the it. amazing things about us hundred <laughs> percent he's going to be really impressed and we he said let's grab a cup of coffee we sat down afterwards and he said to me how do you think that went and i said well you know i made this point and that point and this point i think that was that was pretty good i guess i could have said this a little better and he said I don't think it went that way at all. That's not what I saw. And what I saw was someone who had their own very clear objectives that were not aligned with the person who was listening on the other end mm-hmm. of the table and you will never succeed that way. That is just not a path towards success and I was crushed Matt. I yeah. couldn't even believe it. Yeah. You know those moments are those moments and that that feedback are incredibly challenging to hear and take time to process. Mm-hmm. And I often say that cliches exist for a reason they all come true. Uh, yeah. So as, uh, as in this case, you know, hindsight was twenty twenty. of course. Um, I'm using it now as an example of a, of a really pivotal moment in my career where I realized, oh, wait, that's not the goal. The goal isn't to just get everything out that I want to say. In mm-hmm. fact, that's not a path for success there is an actual path toward success and it's not that. Uh-huh. So I need to peel back the layers here and actually figure out what does feel authentic to me. How can I connect with this person more deeply understand what their objectives are uh-huh. and find a way to build together. And it probably took a few weeks to, to get there, maybe if I'm if I'm being honest, a few months to deeply understand the repercussions of what I had what I had done, which was try to build style and a path of or a persona that I would walk into a room with representing what I thought was the best thing. And in fact, that, that wasn't it at all.
2: Yeah. So
0: I, so I wound up spending time thinking about, okay, so what are the best ways to represent, you know, myself or to be myself represent what it is I'm doing. Sure. But actually if I'm going to put myself in the other person's shoes, how can I think about, you know, really, giving them what they need and, and, and serving them. And so that was a total mind mindset shift for me and, and needless to say, led to a lot more success than I think the other path would
1: have. Okay. So you come into the meeting first meeting, you're trying to impress a new boss. You've got all of your facts and figures, you know, your competition, you know, your value propositions and you just come out firing firing everything and you get out of the meeting and the new boss says that was the worst possible way to approach the meeting. And it it was because you weren't taking the human element into it. Did you not ask enough questions? Were you not curious enough? What what was the ultimate takeaway from, from that?
0: Yeah, of course you want to be curious, but I would say, you know, sort of lifting out of that, the reality is when any two people are having a conversation, it's typically not the same conversation they're having, right? right? They're coming to it with a whole host of things that you have no idea about. So the best possible way to facilitate a conversation I think that is meaningful is to take a step back and say, first of all, how are you? Uh And second of all, tell me, you know, what, what matters most to you? And I think with those two simple questions, you even reframe or reset, you know, where you're starting from. Uh And from there can actually like build a rapport that is meaningful. The other thing is I think, one of the mistakes I made was I had this goal of very quickly walking out of there with the business, like that would be success. And so I think defining success, I mean, really pausing and taking time to define success before you go into a meeting or a conversation or a negotiation or what have you is really important. And it's important to be realistic about that because of course, yes, we all want to get the business. We all want to start that new partnership and that could be success. The reality is, how often do you walk into a room when you've met a new person and walk out of it, you know, either best friends or in, in business together. That's, that's just not the way it works.
2: Right. And so
0: I think had I sort of paused and said, the goal here is to establish trust and get a second conversation. My entire approach would have been different, but what I was focused on was impressing my boss, letting him know that I knew all of the stats and saying, look, I can close this deal. I can get this deal done. And that's just not how life works.
1: Yes. You got some poignant feedback from your boss. I'm guessing it was earlier on. You're a lifelong high performer, presuming. And (laughs) how did you handle that feedback? I know it can be difficult for folks the first couple of times they get feedback if they're not ready for that or used to it. How did you handle that? And then how did you act upon it?
0: I think going back to what I said before, understanding where someone's coming from Uh plays a huge role, especially, you know, in in giving feedback and receiving feedback. It's something I think about a lot Uh as a leader and as a manager, how are you going to give this feedback to someone? How will they receive it? The truth is I hadn't had a ton of feedback throughout my life. I didn't have a massive support system growing up. I had uh, just one parent and, and largely sort of raised myself and, and, And so having done everything for myself throughout my childhood, I always thought I could find the answers to anything, right? Mm -hmm. I had, I would never let myself down. So all of the sudden somebody giving me feedback and somebody who I respected at that, somebody who I said, oh, wow, I could envision myself being like this person one day. It didn't just hit hard because any feedback is hard to get. We all know that. But in this case, it hit harder than I think it might otherwise have hit because I thought it wasn't just about showing that I could do the job, but it was really about the fact that I respected this person and wanted to kind of emulate their career path a bit. And suddenly they were saying, There are a lot of flaws in your approach here. Yeah. And you could do this better. That was really challenging. It was really challenging. Um, but once I could get out of my own way and not have an ego about it and say, You know what? Actually, this could make me better. And it's not doing something or not behaving this way could help me be more like this, yeah. then that's the path I want to take. So it, it really is about getting out of your own head on things, rising above the actual feedback and saying, okay, where where and how can I fit this into my life and truly improve and, and ultimately you know, going back to the goal,
2: yeah.
0: um, whether it's a short-term or a long-term goal, my long-term goal has always been to become the best version of myself that I could. And so maybe it took me a couple of weeks to sort of say, okay, I'm not angry at him anymore. Yeah. And if I do these things, I can become the best version of myself that I want to be. And, and that was just one small thing. You know, maybe it wasn't that small because it really did impact me and I care talking about it so many years later, but it was, it was one thing that definitely helped shape my behavior for the future.
1: Wow. Tell me about raising yourself. What was that like? So there's pros and cons for all of that, right? It can help you build confidence, self-assurance. You have to accomplish things on yourself. Cons are you're not as dependent on other people, potentially longer term, when you're having to deal with teams and, and all of that. And uh, you just mentioned one of the other cons is you you haven't had as much feedback as as you might've had in the past. How has that influenced you?
2: Well, I think
0: you, you hit it on the head. I mean, there are pros and cons, right? I am lucky enough to have all the confidence in myself to be able to get through anything or find my way. So whether that relates to, you know, business, business in the best of times, um, business in the most challenging of times, I don't, doubt that I will come out on the other side because I've been through some pretty rough experiences. And Mm -hmm. that's important, right? It is, it is really, really important to know that you will come out on the other side of things and have the confidence in yourself that you can do that. I don't underestimate the power of that. So that's, that is, that is a pro. The con is you might spend a good portion of your life, certainly your adult life thinking, okay, how do I find a way to depend on other people for other things? And honestly, I think the, one of the great privileges of my career, I would sort of liken it to being a parent, has been the eye-opening experience of saying, "You know what? I'm actually not going to do this all on my own, and I'm better off for not having to." Mm-hmm. So I'm going to empower other people to take on and um, and grow themselves, take take on responsibilities, and evolve themselves in the ways that they can and should.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I get a lot out of that, actually. So I would say that probably mid level or earlier on in my management career it might have been tough to, to relinqu- relinquish some responsibility sure. but certainly over the past you know decade I've worked tirelessly at the idea of empowering others and helping to build other confident leaders and as I said it's sort of like being a parent and raising two children and want them to be as confident as they can Yep. And that comes by giving them the chance to take things on, and and having them know that they can do it. On the flip side, it's important to know that you're supported. And so, I would say I'm overly conscious about striking the right balance between providing support and you know, kind of lifting people up and letting them go far enough on their own um, yeah. so that they're confident in, in their own ability.
1: That's, that's phenomenal. So, one of the things that that you have here is as one of your key achievements that you're really proud of is obviously everything you've accomplished professionally, but engagement through cultural transformation, through innovation of products, technology, and then building and establishing high performing teams. I believe that culture building right now is more important than ever, given all of the changes that have happened over the last two years and the upheaval and the mental health things that are going on. What are some of the lessons learned and things that you're thinking about from a culture building standpoint that help lead to high performing teams.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think most people are struggling to find exactly, you know, where their place and space is right now, mm-hmm. both sort of physically as well as conceptually. Having you know, sort of collectively experience the trauma of the pandemic, I think it's just left people going, okay, so so what next? Even even when you're thrilled in your role and at your company and with your colleagues, I think you're still sort of saying, okay, what does this look like? You're asking yourself a lot more questions than you're used to. Mm-hmm. And so culture is essential, I think, in establishing trust. I think people need to feel like they're in a trusted environment, one where they trust leadership mm-hmm. and you know, have transparency into what's going on. I think the more you can communicate and be transparent, the better off, the more comfortable and confident people can feel when they show up every day. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you completely. I also think a lot about the idea that as you're moving forward in any business scenario, you need to keep in mind that what got you here is not what will get you there. So for me, the way that manifests itself is being an eternal I don't know if I want to say optimist. Okay. I am pretty optimistic, but I think the more specific word would be possible. And we sort of invented that word here a few years ago or in conversation a few years ago. It's not actually a word, but <laughs> what it means is that I believe in what's possible. Mm. I believe in the idea of eternal possibility and the excitement of, of bringing to life new ideas of creating new connections and ultimately, going to or getting to new and exciting places because anything is possible if you put your mind to it. Having said that, if you don't have the right cultural attributes, yeah, you don't have the right team that believes in the same things. It's gonna it's gonna be impossible to get
1: there. Yeah. Uh, what are those cultural attributes that you're looking for?
0: Yeah. Well, well, trust certainly mm-hmm. is one. Absolutely. I think you need trust. You need trust in, in, in leadership, trust in each other. I think people need to know that they have their backs. A few years ago, I, I did a little off-site retreat with my team here and just sort of went around the room and said, what keeps you up at night? And the most frequent answer given, or the thing that basically everybody said as you went around the room, was the fear of letting their colleagues down.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And in that moment, I thought, oh, holy cow, people are so trusting of one another. They're so committed to their job. They want to do a good job to be there for other people. It mm-hmm. matters that much to them. That is really, really special. So how do you make sure you keep that going? So trust is one. Adaptability, and certainly in this day and age, adaptability is essential, Matt, right? Yep. You need to know that you have people who can, can roll with things and sometimes you're gonna go in a direction you all believe in and you're really excited about it. you might hit a wall, and what you need to know is that you have people there who say, okay, if this wall is gonna be here, we're gonna figure out how to circumvent it, how yeah. to get around it, and move in the best possible directions. I think adaptability, for sure, is mm-hmm. key. Communication, communication, you know, can't say that enough, because obviously, communication is is essential for having a good team. I think standards, setting standards and being clear about what they are, you know, and I think being open-minded. So that kind of sure. dovetails with adaptability. But at the end of the day, you know, what you want is a team of people who are committed and open-minded about what's possible if you work together.
1: I love it. Trust, adaptability, communication, open-mindedness. So you have all this now, right now, from all the experiences you had working through. So what... So you move into a leadership role then at Condi. How did that change? What was the transition like for you? And what did you learn in that transition that prepared you for the Atlantic?
0: I'll take the second question first and say that everything you experience every day should be Something that you're learning from and taking with you to help inform your future experiences. So I would say I haven't taken a single moment for granted, where I'm not using it in some way, shape, or form, or trying to use it for the better, as, as I as I said before. But also going to cut and ask when, when I. I had previously been at at Forbes, which was a smaller company, and it was really very much like a family. I think even to this day, people who work at Forbes will tell you it feels very much like family. And that is a really unique and special thing that that we have at that company. Jumping to Conde Nast, it it wasn't exactly that. It was a much, much larger environment. It was highly political, certainly at the time, but the role that I jumped to was in a group called the media group at the time. Mm -hmm. So we were responsible for the enterprise level deals across the whole of the organization. And that often worked at odds with what the individual brands and the individual teams were working on, Mm -hmm. which is challenging. So the first year there for me was, was really challenging and, and complex because what I realized was for as much as sort of going back to Going back to what we said before, like understanding you know, what, what are your goals and what is really the job to be done here. While I thought my job was drive revenue across these areas of business mm-hmm. and be measured in terms of that, the real job was navigating the complex organization, building consensus.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Consensus building was essential there so that people wouldn't undermine the sort of deals you were putting in place. Right. And it was the best possible way to create a business relationship that would ultimately result in what I thought were the goals. Sure. So my experience at Kindaness I was there for five years was so much about learning how to work in a complex organization that was both siloed as well as matrix, that had competing goals, yeah. um, that worked for big personalities. Sure. And it was really, really complicated. And I would say that the other thing I learned, so it was learning how to navigate that and deal with that, building that skill set, which I do think is essential in life and and so great for you to have in your career. The other thing I learned was the way for me to do it was by remaining true to myself and being authentic Mm -hmm. to who I was. And so there was no moment in that period where I was going to change who I was or how I approached a situation working with people yeah. Um, or if I just peel that back one layer more, it was really common that people would very sort of would play these political
2: games
0: and figure out who was most important in the situation and <laughs> go to them. And, try, and that was not my style. That mm-hmm. was not something that I was going to do. And I thought I'm just going to be myself throughout this and be open and honest. And actually it worked out. It worked out really, really well. I think in, at times it was surprising mm-hmm. and, and certainly people were like, wait, really, you know, yeah. are you, you didn't go, backstab me or do this or do that. Nope. Didn't do that. That wasn't that wasn't my objective. And so so that worked out yeah. really, really well. And and quite frankly gave me the confidence to for when I came to the Atlantic to understand that I could lead the team that I was leading here, which was way less complex sure. and way less matrix, but certainly not without its own challenges, yeah before.
1: So one of the things we did talk about earlier, though, is the, the raising yourself con is the dependence on others. But I guess this isn't necessarily dependence. You're trying to create consensus, right?
0: Listen, in any situation, you need to know who you can rely on. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is, you know, in any situation you go into, whether it's in, your, in the workplace or at home or on the street, you need yeah. to be aware of your surroundings and have a good sense of who you can rely on. I think that's true this was less about that there's no question the sort of survival skill (laughs) came into play there knowing that i could get through anything definitely helped me get through my first year at condenas and don't get me wrong i i developed some wonderful friendships and there were so many incredible incredibly smart and talented people that i had the privilege of working with there and learning from and and so I was lucky enough to find the right people who I could depend on right. and and help me understand the complexities of what I was dealing with, but that also accepted me for who I was sure. and encouraged me to continue to to be myself in that environment. So that very much played played a role in my success there.
1: So any tips or tricks for people? Because I'm con- consensus building. Obviously, is a leadership skill that you have to have at the highest level across the board, whether it's through yeah. just this is the way it's gonna be, or you're trying to bring everybody along in the same boat. Tips or tricks on consensus building and did the initial thing we talked about as far as understanding humanity play a role in that in your first uh, meeting with your first boss?
0: Absolutely. I mean, look, I think it's all consensus building, right? So if I think back to that meeting that we just that we discussed earlier, yep. had I gone in there with the goal of building consensus, my approach would have been entirely different. Right. I, I don't want to say goal of building consensus, but goal of getting someone on board. And how do you do that? You have to understand what's important to them. Yeah. So the most important tip or trick I have is ask people questions about themselves. Yeah. Everybody like talk about themselves, right, yep. but um, that aside, understand the person that you are communicating with. the more you can understand them, the better you can communicate to and with them yep. and if you're able to do that, you can come back with something that's going to work with them and by the way, even if you you know if you, if you need to get somebody on board with something that there's no world they're going to get forward with, at the very least they will respect your effort to do so right. I think also, again, that comes into the trust factor. And, and the thing is, so, so I spent my time, a lot of time, as most people did at, at kind of, you know trying to build consensus. The other thing was, in the moment, it was really important for me to demonstrate that I brought a different type of thinking and skill set to the business and to the company. And what do I mean by that? I mean, the company was very successful in so many areas because of the things they had spent years and years doing. We all know this is like any legacy organization, you know what you do well, and you continue to lean into that and continue to do that. What I found was there was, goes back to the idea of being a possibleist. I thought, it feels like there's a lot of opportunity in this area that nobody else is focused on. How can I get, How can I become empowered to focus on that and show that there's really value? And so what it meant was, you know, gaining the trust of my boss and my colleagues and spending time with people outside of the organization to really understand how their businesses were moving, really understand their business challenges and say, okay, so what is it we could actually bring to the table that we're not offering them now? Like they have a business challenge. We have a lot of solutions or if we don't have it today, what could we build that could help solve that business challenge for them? And had a lot of success doing that as well. And I think what I found was that for as many people as there were who were deeply committed to the way things had been done, the idea of tapping into that vein of possibility with people across the organization who were like, we do want to do something different. We do want to do and showing them that there was other opportunity out there, which really exciting that was a huge success that I had yeah. and quite frankly it paid off for the business in spades and and ultimately I think led me to where I am today at the Atlantic.
1: I love it couple couple points on that number one I agree I always say one of the biggest compliments you could pay somebody is asking in their opinion. Two, 100% that. Thinking about your journey there so was the success the fact that you just that you brought new ideas to the table or was it that you brought new ideas to the table and you were able to get people to rally around them?
0: I think all of it. Again, yeah. you know, when people are experiencing success in a certain way, naturally, I mean, this is with anything, and I, you see this with children, right? So my son is a is a baseball player. Mm-hmm. He was having a ton of success pitching the way he naturally threw the ball. Yep. And it wasn't until he got into a room with a coach who said, well, what if you try to this way. Why would I try it this way? What's been working for me going this way? Right. Why would you do it? Yeah. Because the coach had been trusted and had a had a sort of proven track record of success. So because in my early time there I'd been able to build relationships and build consensus on the business that had existed. Yeah. When I said, Well, what if we try it this way? There was more of a warm welcome to that idea. And because I understood them and what they were interested in, I could position it to them in a way, of course, that would help them see it differently as well. So, yeah.
1: Love it. Okay. How's he doing with the pitching? Did it work? Uh, Phenomenal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He's a star. He's a total star.
1: So you you, you jump to uh, the Atlantic, but you're not a CRO right away. Correct. So why did you want to go to the Atlantic? And then tell us about the initial experience of the first job to the CRO job. How did that unfold?
0: Yeah, there were three reasons that drove me to the Atlantic. I've I've said this a lot, and I will never forget these three reasons. I just love the brand. As I said, I went to school to be a journalist and the Atlantic is unmatched in its journalism. I think. I think even today. We actually. I just last night we had the National Magazine Awards and we won for general excellence as well as uh, one another story. So I think we continue to be standard bearer for excellence in journalism. And I was so. Thrilled and privileged to take on the the representation of this brand in the marketplace. So that was the first thing that was almost a no brainer. The second thing was the team. The team had a great track record, not only of early successes in sort of thinking through transformation, a big appetite for continued transformation, and industry leadership, mm-hmm. and also just fundamentally great people. The person who hired me was somebody who is so beloved that that anybody would have considered themselves lucky to to work with and work for. And then finally it was the actual opportunity, which, which was all about continued transformation and industry leadership. Uh-huh. And the, you know, for me, I thought this is about what's next and what's possible and the future of a media brand. And that is really, really exciting. And there have been so many iterations of things that we've done here
2: uh-huh. as the
0: business has grown and evolved and the industry has changed and the whole world has changed over the course of the past decade. But I can honestly say, looking back, there was never a moment where we felt like we weren't doing everything we could or exploring every potential avenue that made the most sense for us in ways that we could uniquely differentiate as well as continue to be authentic to who we were as a brand and a business Mm -hmm. and build that. And it has paid off in space.
1: That's great. The first role that you take on, what was that and how did it evolve?
0: So the first role was just the the head of sales yeah. and it evolved quickly just by happenstance. I uh-huh. um, was asked to come and just lead the sales team. And within just a couple of short months, um, my predecessor who had hired me was asked to help out in a different part of the business. Oh. So he looked at me and said, I'm going to go help out on that. You, um, uh, you've got this, right? I'll be back in about a month or so. And, and he never came back. And so what that meant was quickly taking on not just responsibility for sales, but for marketing, for ad operations, for self-planning, for what was at the time the, the whole business side of yeah. the Atlantic. And this was a moment where I'll tell you, having raised myself, that paid off. The confidence I had in myself paid off. And even if it wasn't confidence, because to be honest, there were so many times where I was like, what? really, you're going to let me do this? <laughs> but it was, A, knowing that I would come out on the other side no matter what and... Be just sort of saying, "I'll try it." Like, what's the worst that could
1: happen here? I mean, was like, okay, fine, I got this, or I kind of got this. Now I got to figure it out. How, how did you approach yeah. it?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, I have a really good answer to this. So, truthfully, I think I was right away. I was scared. Like, what? Well, that's crazy. What do you mean? Yeah. Where are you going to go? And what happened was there was a bit of a slow burn, or there was a point uh, for a period of time where he said, "Just call me with any questions. Anything that comes up, call me anytime." So this goes back to what we were talking about before in terms of empowering people and, and helping them learn and to, to trust themselves and um and take things on. Yeah. So on a daily basis, I would pick up the phone and I would call and I'd say, We have this situation. Here's what it is. And the first response is, like, Well, what do you think? What would you do? And I would give an answer. This is mm-hmm. this is what I think. This is what my instinct is. Yeah. that's what I would do. And that started to happen. I mean, that would happen on a daily basis for a, like, like at least a few weeks, if not a few months. Yeah. And I started to call other people. I'm like, is he just, is he messing with me? Like, is he just doing this? To, to... I mean, I can't, it can't be that, that I know what I'm talking about. So I would just start <laughs> to call other people and pressure test. Here's a situation.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What would you do? Or here's the situation. Here's what I would do. What would you do? And people started to confirm, well, that's, that's yeah, that's what I would do. Mm-hmm. I mean, another way might, to look at it might be like this, but I would probably do that. And so that sort of starts to show me, you know what, there is no, it, there's no such thing as one right answer. In mm-hmm. fact, there's no such thing as a right answer. Yeah. I think what you do is you have to objectively look at the situation, whatever it is, whether you're dealing with people, you're dealing with customers, you're dealing with, you know, technological issues, look at the situation at hand. And say, okay, so what are my actual options here? Right? You can yeah. jump to the sort of worst case scenario. You can play it back and say, if we do this, then this is what could be the result, and then start to sort of play it out, talk sure. it out, and figure out where to go from there. So, no, I wasn't like, yes, I'm 100% ready for this. Yeah. But it didn't take too long to build the confidence in myself because I started to have to answer the questions for myself, and and it was really, you know, honestly, uh, it turned out to be a good thing.
1: That's amazing. So. It clearly things seem to be working because you just were awarded the advertising hall of achievement. So, congratulations on that!
0: Thank you. Thank Um, you.
1: You've got the you were also awarded magazine of the year. You're a 40 under 40 recipient, digital publisher of the year, top women in media, best in house content studio of the year, magazine of the year again. So, congratulations on all of that. What is next for Haley Romer?
0: Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is all of that is really just a testament to, you know, the incredible people that I've worked with at this in, incredible brand and, and throughout my career. So yeah. nobody achieves anything on their own that is, that is just so true. And one of the things I think about a lot is, you know, the fact that what you sort of see, you, you see like on the court, as they say, yeah. or on the field is the result of everything that happens off the field, right? And so you just don't see what goes on behind the scenes. But all of that recognition is really about everything that goes on behind the scenes. And and everybody that, that I've had the privilege of working with has been a total, total warrior in mm. the mission to continue to evolve and, and adapt this brand and and quite frankly, any other that I have uh, worked with.
2: So what's, what next? Said, yeah. what's next? What's
0: next? Well, I would say I'm excited about a lot of things. Going back to the idea of what's possible, I think over the course of the past two years, we've seen so much possibility come to light. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you start with just the people aspect, as you said, in terms of culture, I mean, the idea that, um, that individuals are as involved with helping their companies move forward in the best possible way for individuals in terms of developing culture Mm -hmm. um, is really, really exciting to me as a leader because I have so much to learn and learn about the future of organizations and the future of work. Um, I'm also super, super excited about all the literature that's out there right now. There are so many great thinkers who are talking a lot about this. And I find myself in constant conversation about, you know, what other leaders and organizations are doing to help um, ensure that they're building the strongest possible
2: culture. Yeah.
0: The next thing, of course, is, is ushering the next wave of, I would say two things. One is consumer experience. And by way of that is leveraging the technology and the platforms to get you there. There's irrespective of the industry or the business you're in. The most important thing is how the customer feels about you and your brand and their experience. And so whether you're thinking about media or you're thinking about sports, you're thinking about entertainment, the idea here here is how do you connect with that consumer? How do you really get them to understand your unique value proposition? How do you give them what's unique for them, Mm -hmm. connect the dots and create the best possible experience? Mm-hmm. So I'm really focused on thinking about the best ways to leverage technology. Whether you're thinking about, you know, things like Web three, or you're thinking about easier access to things like subscriptions, yeah. um, or you're thinking about content, right, and storytelling. It is all part of what I think is the reimagining of more authentic and more positive and highly possible customer experience. Yeah. So I'm really, really excited about that. And. You know, working with people who are equally excited about the possibilities and potential of transformation and um and growth.
1: All right. How does Haley stay grounded on your stay day, grounded. day? On your day to day. Like what do you do daily that, that just keeps you going? What what um <laughs> what invigorates you? You mentioned you've got baseball with your son, you've got I'm imagining a lot of things going on now that the world is opening <laughs> back up.
0: That's right, that's right. Well, a few things. I think I think taking time for self-care every day is important. I am a morning person at heart. I like to kind of wake up early and get in the right mindset, So whether that's through meditation or through exercise, I do that every morning because it really does set the standards for the rest of the day. I love walking my daughter to school and and holding my favorite hand as we say it. It is uh, easily the best part of every day. And again, you know, sets the tone and the mood, both for her, but also for me. Right. It reminds me that like the most important thing is that yeah. and how can I be my best self and um, showing up for her and for, and for my son, as you mentioned. And, And what else, and what else I do I just try to spend as much time outside as possible because uh, that for me too, just kind of, you know, fills me with a lot of, of energy. And I'm really, really excited to be spending much more time with people in person. I feed off of other people's energies without question. And so, so for me, that has um, brought me back to life in, in new and exciting ways.
1: Yeah. That's, that is fantastic. I love it. I I was on a walk with my, son and my daughter uh last week and we were walking along a river in the the forest and i just stopped and i said listen listen to what's out there and it's like there's a million birds chirping the water is rippling and it just felt so good and it felt so simple but it's always been there but it feels like it's brand new right now because we're able to get back out and and get into it absolutely Well, this has been wonderful. We do like to end the show by asking what your leadership mantra is. So Haley Romer, what is your leadership mantra?
0: One thing that I gravitate a lot toward is the idea that you don't build a business, you build a relationship. And I think that is so broadly applicable when you think about teams, when you think about, you know, how you bring ideas to life. When you think about customers and you think back to that story that i told you before the business will come if you can build the relationship but investing in the relationship to ultimately help um, really feed and, and nourish the individuals and the ideas i think is the thing that matters
1: yeah love it love it haley thank you so much for joining us today on media sales confidential with matt bartles it was a pleasure having you for those of you out there don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and never miss an episode Please share it with your friends and thank you for listening. And that's the inside scoop.